This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. It's good to see y'all here today. Um, As Dave told y'all when he opened, Pastor Aaron's out of town the next couple weeks. And I'm so thankful for um, him and his life and the example that he sets for us. And all of our pastors are bivocational, so any chance they get to to go on vacation is a huge deal. To be refreshed and renewed, to spend time with family, quality time, um, just ministering to our kids, our wives, um, spending time together is always a big deal, and so I'm just thankful anytime that happens. Also, Wes is out of town with his family, and just a, a huge blessing that is. So be praying for them. Um, also, you may have noticed our young population thinned out a bit this week. We had quite a few uh, youth that went to camp this week with, uh, I think it was 600 or 700 kids from Redemption Church all across the valley in the state, and so that's a really exciting thing my son's there uh, first year at camp and that's pretty legit Uh, I remember how significant those times for me were and so uh, I really do covet your prayers for all the kids but my son and been praying that God just reveals himself into in a new way and and seeing um, our young people really just uh, grow in their passion for the Lord and they I I love that uh, in our church, we place such a high value on diversity and not just racial diversity, but age diversity, and that our youth are getting to experience that. So many times we ghettoize the youth and put them in their own little spot, and, and they become their own little thing, and it's where we often cultivate a consumer culture who can ever throw the best pizza party and have the best illustrations and the coolest five minute message are the people that uh, get the most crowds, right? And uh, to see a group that is passionate about Jesus, who want to know Jesus, who are not perfect, who want to learn from you all, who look to you and desire to uh, emulate Christ in you is uh, a wonderful thing. So I thank you for that, but be praying for the youth, be thinking towards, towards how we can better display Christ to them. Uh, it's It really is a massive privilege to be able to stand here today with you guys um, and to be able to share the gospel. And so together, why don't we stand together and read this text? If you don't have a Bible, lift your hand up. We have some phenomenal young men that uh, will give you a Bible that you can either keep if you don't have one It will be our gift to you, or you can give it back and we can reuse that. We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30. We're on about a year-long series through Mark right now. We stand in respect to God's word because I want to make sure that we recognize that this is God's word, not my words, okay? We're going to read a pretty big chunk together, so bear with me. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, 
Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the loaves, the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesark and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. We ask that uh, your spirit speak through me today to properly um, share the intent of your heart for your people, for the crowds, and about your character, God. In your name, amen. You may be seated. Um, It's kind of an interesting thing. I haven't been able to uh, preach or haven't taken the opportunity to preach in over a year. And uh, so one of the things I love about Redemption Church is that we gather together with the other 
congregations, pastors to prepare our sermons together. We do a preaching collective 10 days before we preach. And so we get to kind of bounce ideas off each other, hear the big idea, share scripture that way. And so I was pretty excited about that and like, okay, I can do this. It's been, you know, a while, but we can make this happen. And then they canceled the preaching collective. And then I went to go get my hair cut and the person really messed up on my hair. And so I'm a little insecure up here today with a, a sermon that I prepared and a bad haircut. And so if, if I do a terrible job today, you can blame the haircut, okay? And uh, if I do good, then blame the preaching collective that they didn't meet. <laughs> good, okay? So um, like I said before, it's, it's a massive privilege to stand here and share Jesus with you guys today. Um, I really believe that we're a part of something that's unique and wonderful. Uh, what God's Spirit is doing in this city, in this church, in this congregation is so beautiful to me. I feel like uh, the word awe is a great way to describe how I feel about Redemption Church. The reason why is Acts 2, 42, 43, that, that little section there, it's talking about them, and it says that the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, and awe came upon every soul. And that's how I feel about it, being about this church. It's because I really can't point to anything that we're doing special. It's faithful people devoting themselves to the teachings of the Bible, to living life together, to eating together, to praying together. And in our intentional devotion, God begins to display himself very supernaturally, and, and we can't take any credit for it. It's just, we're just reading the Bible, praying novel idea let's follow what scripture says to do and then Jesus shows up and we go ah oh. you know like how to what is going on right now and so awe is really the only way that I can describe it and I'm humbled to see the kingdom of God displayed through your love through the diversity this church displays through generosity and through humility and with that said, we have so many gifted teachers that it humbles me to be able to stand here and share Jesus with you. We have so many that I look at in this room. I look at their life, their sacrifice, and their service, and it humbles me because I'm aware that by far I'm not the best at this, but I'm honored to be a part of it. I'm honored to be included in it and to be given the opportunity to teach you today. Hopefully, we can all walk out of here together asking ourselves the question, how does this text shape my life? And how does this make us even more like Jesus? As you heard while I was reading through this, we're going through the book of Mark. It's about a year, a year-long uh, series, and it's making me really nervous to approach Scripture this way because I've never taught such a big section of Scripture. And, and Redemption Church 
did this intentionally because, as Dave said, we could have taken little bits and pieces of this to preach each one of those things. There's great, three great stories there that could be broken down. But we did it intentionally because um, it's really about trying to get a bigger scope of who God is, his character, who is Jesus, what is Scripture teaching us about Jesus in this text. And over the last uh, couple of years, that way of approaching Scripture has meant a ton to me. I always looked at, at Scripture in individual sound bites and, and tried to make life applications for myself. And uh, to look at Scripture as, as the overarching narrative, the overarching story of our whole life, and we just be get, get to become a part of that. This is about Jesus, about God, about His life, His story, the kingdom He's, he's uh, is creating, what he's already redeemed and how he's going to come back and make all things right someday has changed the way that I live my life. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, look like me anymore. It looks like him, right? And so I, th- I find it interesting that as we read through Mark, and if you read in sections like this, and I, I would say about most of the Gospels actually, with te- uh, uh, when it talks, it talks... Um, to groups of people, not to individuals. Very rarely is he addressing individuals. It's most often to groups of people. Like he speaks to the disciples. He speaks to crowds. He speaks to the Pharisees. It says things like that. He's like, and he said to the crowds, and he said to his disciples. It wasn't, and he said to John, he said to Peter. There's very few instances of that, but it's mostly lumped together. And many times we work to individualize the stories to make them fit our situations. And in doing that, we make the stories about ourselves. We make ourselves the main character and stop making Jesus the main character. So as we look at the text today, we're going to ask over and over again through the whole, this whole time, we're going to ask, what is this saying about Jesus? What does this teach us about his disciples? And what does this speak about the crowds? Now, those slides had to roll pretty fast, but I'm going to put those up throughout the rest of the the sermon as we get to those sections. What is this saying about Jesus? What is this saying about the disciples? What does this speak to the crowds? And I think... Uh, The reason that I wanted to emphasize those questions is because I think that way of approaching Scripture, no matter what story it is, and you're going, I don't know how to study the Bible. I can't do it alone. I wait to get my my food. I wait to get my spiritual food on Sundays and Bible studies and this and that. But those are three great questions that you can just sit down and ask yourself as you're reading Scripture alone and studying God's Word. What does this say about Jesus? What does it say about the people in this story? And then how does this this apply to or shape the way that I live so that I'm a part of that story? To give context around this passage that we started at, we need to go back to the beginning of chapter 6 because there was kind of this break that happened when it was talking about um, when it was talking about John the Baptist, if you remember this from last week, if you were here, and if you weren't, go back and listen to that because this, 
This has been an awesome series. We like to, to look at uh, whole books of the Bible together and, and preach through uh, text so that we get the whole context. But to, in order to get the context of what's happening right here in chapter 6, starting at 30, you actually have to look back a little bit before that because he kind of breaks the story and tells a little bit about John the Baptist. And so the disciples went out because Jesus sent them out and he said to them, I want you to go, you're going to tell the gospel and you are going to, you're going to heal the sick, you're going to be ministers and agents of change, you're going to be agents of restoration, you're going to declare the kingdom of God is coming and inside of that, here's what I want you to do, just take your staff, don't take bread, don't take a bag, don't take money. And what I think he was trying to tell them there is that God is your provider, God is your protection, and his spirit will empower you for the mission, and this would ultimately give him the most glory. Because there was nothing that they had in their own power, wisdom, strength to, to offer apart from what Jesus would provide, protect, and display through them, and then ultimately for his glory. So this is the context when we get to this section where verse 30 is talking about the G, that the disciples are coming back and telling Jesus all of this fantastic stuff. And so you see Jesus' response starting in, in verse 31. He says this, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure time even to eat. So he says, hey, you guys have been out. You guys have been doing your thing. People are coming. They're wanting to be healed. They're wanting to hear the story of the kingdom of God. They're wanting to uh, really understand this. They're, they're, they're seeking after something bigger than themselves. And so uh, let's go to a desolate place and because you guys haven't even been stopping to take time to eat, right? So they get into a boat. And they're headed to the desolate place. And the crowds perceive where they're headed, and they get there before Jesus is in, and his disciples. And I start thinking, man, boat must have been a really slow way to travel. They're like seeing, they're cruising the coast to get to the desolate place. And people are like, hey, there's Jesus and his disciples. Let's beat him there. And they just take off and start running and gathering more. I had enough time to stop and say, hey, Jesus is coming. Right? Let's all get there before him, and they, they have enough time to get there. And so by the time they get there, Jesus sees the crowds as they get off the boat, and he's moved with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. So he stops and begins teaching them. And he's preaching for a long time because it says that it starts getting late. And the disciples come to him, and they say, Jesus, this is a desolate place. Send, send them away to go into surrounding countryside and villages so they can buy themselves something to eat. And he answers, you give them something to eat. So notice that the disciples point to the fact that it's a desolate place. Like, Jesus didn't know it was a desolate place. Like, Jesus, remember 
you told us, let's go to a desolate place. You remember that? We're in a desolate place. Can you send everybody away? And they can go buy food because 200 denarii worth of food, 200 denarii is a denarii is one day's wages. So they're talking about 200 days worth of work in order to pay for all the food that it would take to feed everybody that was there. So Jesus' response is classic. He says, check your resources, get organized, and then he includes them on his mission. He performs a miracle in their practical act. They didn't do anything. They just, hey, get organized. Have everybody sit in 50s and 100s. And everybody ate and was satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets fulls of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men, not including the women and children. So if it's my size of family, that could have been like 100,000 people. <laughs> but most likely it could have been like 15,000, 20,000 people there. So I want to take that story by itself and look at what do we learn about Jesus from this story. First, we see that Jesus is compassionate. Second, we see that he's moved by people without direction. Now, think about this. I want you to remember this. The time that they're, they're in this tension of that Jesus is there, but the prophets have stopped speaking for a long time, and they're living under a different, king, a, a different type of kingdom at that time. They're not in their own land. They're under somebody else's rulership, and they're waiting for this Messiah to come. And this is the tension of that time. The Jews, all of them, all of the Jews were longing for a king to come and overthrow the government. It didn't matter if they were conservative Jews like the Pharisees, very conservative, like if they were liberals like the Sadducees, if they were militants like militants, if they were zealots, if they were your everyday Jew just trying to make it, they were all waiting for a king, aimlessly trying to figure out how do we usher that king in. And that's what moved Jesus to compassion. The third thing that we see is that he includes his disciples on his mission. The church is the agent's of displaying the kingdom of God on earth now until Jesus comes back and makes all things right. It's our responsibility to display the kingdom of God now. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. He was there. He could have done it all. And he goes, break them up into groups. I'm including you. Here's a piece for you, a piece for you. Could you imagine how small? That must have been a big fish. Like, because they had to break that up by six people. Like, he's handing it out to all 12 of his disciples. They get a little piece of fish and bread. Now go feed everybody. He just prays for it. 
And, I, and then I think it's crazy too. Remember, he just came back. They just came back from doing all these things and telling Jesus. Remember, and then, then he takes them to the desolate place. They were just on mission and they're excited about, hey, we, we declared the gospel. People were healed. Demons were cast out. This is awesome. But then they wanted to send everybody away. And Jesus, again, is showing them his provision, his protection, his power. He's showing them also the cost of reward, or, or, or the cost and reward of following him. The cost is dying to themselves and their own desires in that moment. Could you imagine Jesus saying, hey, we're going to go to a desolate place so that you can make time to eat. You get there and there's 5,000 men there and all their families are there. And he says, all right, we're going to feed them first and I'm going to teach them all day. Do you imagine that? Remember that what God's idea and plan of us resting is not our idea and plan of resting. The cost is dying to yourself. The reward is abundant provision. I think that's an interesting thought too. And I, this is a loose parallel, but hear me on this because I just thought it was really interesting that the number of baskets that were left over was 12. How many disciples were there? 12. They weren't making time for themselves to stop and eat, but when the food was all divvied out. They had an abundance, an overflow of food that they had a full basket full for each disciple. It's a crazy thought. Then the, the last thing I'd like to make a point of, this list may not be comprehensive, but the last thing that I saw in here is he is showing that they can do mission as they go. They went away to find time to eat, and then they ended up feeding thousands of people and having leftovers. See, that goes back to what I was saying, is that here's these disciples going away thinking they're going to be alone, and that could have been cool, but the reality is, is that they were, he was saying, I'm going to take you to a place because you guys are neglecting eating. I'm going to take you to a desolate place where I have to provide everything, where I will empower everything, and there's going to be so much abundance. You will still be sacrificing and living your life to serve other people, but inside of the sacrifice, inside of your service, there's going to be an overflow and abundance so much that you won't even know what to do with it at the end. And I can't tell you I, how, much, how many times I've seen that in people around me. I'm seriously, like, I look at finances of people who they're just living for themselves and they're like, I can't pay any of my bills. They begin sacrificing, bringing other people into their homes. And then you go to them, you're like, man, you must be really struggling. And they're like, I don't know how to explain it. There's so much abundance. I don't even need, like, I need nothing. I lack nothing and I can't explain why. Next, we'll take a look at what we learn about the disciples in this text. They were called to a life of sacrifice. Next thing is they were called to always be learning. This is an interesting thing. We hate this idea. In theory, we like to be learners or whatever and do our thing, but we hate the idea that 
after I give my life to Christ, I'm going to have to keep learning and growing and changing. We hate this idea because we want to be perfect and everything to be great once we say, I've invited Jesus into my life. Now, now I'm good. I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm going to repay you my debt through my good works and, my, and, and I'm going to somehow show you that I don't need anything else anymore. Your life is an ongoing repentance, ongoing learning life. And I've dealt with people where I've sat and I've talked to them and they say things like, I'm just a burden on the community. I'm just a, a, a weight because I keep falling into the same sins over and over. I keep repeating the same things and, and uh, I, I'm obviously just to screw up and I'd rather suffer alone so I'm going to isolate myself from the rest of the, of the church and the body of Christ and I'm not going to participate anymore. The reason that you would think that way is if you don't believe that your life is ever being made into the image of Christ. You are righteous because of Christ. You're being made righteous because of Christ. They were humble. It, I think we get to the spot where, where we go, I, because I want to know everything, we get so arrogant inside of that. And their humility is evident. They're not, they're not like, oh, man, Jesus always teaches. I'm such a big screw-up. Jesus always, you know, teaching me again, always showing us up and, like, tr and showing, a, showing us up in front of all our friends, you know. <laughs> and the last thing, the overflow of life was more real in sacrifice. I like that one. The overflow of life is more real in sacrifice. For them, like we talked about, the abundance of food that was left over. So what do we learn about the crowds? They're longing for all things to be right. A lot of times we get so hung up and caught up on pol people's political bendings because the way that they're approaching things, we can't wrap our minds around it. Why are they doing that? Why do they, you know, why abortion or why uh, um, is there uh, no wealth? Why don't they want to do welfare? Why, why not welfare? Why not free phones for everybody, you know? Or we get, we get caught up on these things between whatever your bending is on that, and you look at it and you go, I don't get it. Why don't, why don't I get this? And, and get frustrated and angry. The thing that we forget about inside of that is that we are all, every one of us, whether conservative, libertarian, Democrat, Republican, it does, it does not matter what your bending is. We are all longing for things to be made right. And the difference comes inside of how we're approaching to make that happen. Some people believe that this is the way that it's going to make the most sense to get us to that point. And the sad thing is, is that usually when we, we get so overwhelmed by it is because we believe that some political power, some political figure is going to come in and make things right. 
And if we just follow these conservative values or these liberal values, or if we just do this, or if we just do this, then everything's going to be made right. And that's what we see in the crowd is not that they don't care or they're oblivious, but that they're just, they all are longing for something to happen. And that's why they're all gathering to be there in the first place. They see a hope in Jesus. Second thing we see is they're needy. Man, you deal with the crowds for a little bit, you realize it's about what they're going to get out of it. And the third thing we see about the crowd in this is they, they were moved. They were what moved Jesus. People were his passion. We, we can get lose sight of that too easy. We can lose sight of, of people too easy. So I don't have a really clean transition into this next story. But I think that's good because it says immediately. So there's really not a, tra- a clean transition even here. So I'm just going to do this really sloppy and go, there's a transition right here into story two. And it, it's an immediately Jesus did this. It says, immediately Jesus sends his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Jesus tells them, you guys go get in the boat, meet me on the other side, I'm going to send the crowds away. Then he goes, and he takes some time to pray, and then he sees that they're struggling out there, And about the fourth watch of the night, he comes to them walking on the sea. This, cl- this line, I just, and he meant to pass them by. It's like, hey, guys, see you over there. <laughs> this is kind of that casually meandering across the water. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. This is good. Because I I like that it says they all saw him and were terrified because I could just imagine that it took all of them recognizing that he was there so that they could be... Peter, do you see that? John? (laughs) You're seeing what I'm seeing here? Are we all seeing somebody walking on the water right now? And then not until they all recognized it and saw it, we're terrified. (laughs) And he speaks, take heart. Jesus says, take heart. Don't be afraid. He gets in the boat. The wind stops. And they were utterly astounded because they didn't understand the loaves. That's the last story. That's from the last story. And they're, because their hearts were hardened. So what do we see about Jesus in this text? Jesus was submitted to community 
and found his strength from union with the Father and the Spirit through a life of prayer. I think that's a very important thing that we could glance over. Verse 46, after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. It's where Jesus found his power, his uh, provision, his protection in the, in the comfort of the community of the Godhead, the perfect union that he chooses to include us in, even though it was perfect in and of itself. Jesus is aware of the struggle and teaches them through unrest. You get that? He's standing on the shoreline, kind of like the people were, oh, there's Jesus and his disciples. This time Jesus is standing there. Yeah, they're having a hard time. And instead of, of stopping the wind at that moment, says he waits a while while they keep pressing against the wind. Then he walks out, and he means to pass them by. But he uses that moment as another teaching moment. He doesn't remove the storm. He uses the storm to teach them. I like this, too. Jesus displays, speaks, and demonstrates to shape us. Jesus displays, speaks, and demonstrates in order to teach us. We should strive for this kind of a life too when we're like, I want to be this to my kids. Somebody who displays, speaks, and, and also demonstrates to them. He shows them peace in the middle of the storm so that he doesn't stop the storm. He walks out right into the middle of it and says, Oh, there I go. I'm going to meander by you guys and just kind of starts walking by. They recognize him. He sees the fear, and then he speaks to, the, to their fear in, in a teaching moment and says, don't be afraid. It's me. And then he demonstrates his power, gets into the boat, and the storm stops. Again, showing, I'm your provision, I'm your protection, I'm all-powerful, and I'm going to get the glory for this. What do we learn about the disciples? And then I, I kind of, when I was writing this, switched into like first person because I was like, oh, this is me. Uh, in storms, we don't remember the provision of Jesus. When things are shaky, when things are going on around us, we just forget all of a sudden. We forget the loaves. In storms, we doubt and fear. In storms, we are taught. In storms, Jesus gets all glory. In storms, we forget and are astonished when Jesus comes through. It's funny. That, that's a funny thing. It's like the word astonished there is talking about this idea that they're, oh, did you just see that? Like they had never seen Jesus do anything like that before. Like it was so out of the character of God. Oh, oh Jesus, how did you do that? 
And then it's classic again <laughs> that it's because they forgot the loaves, right? It's like, oh, I didn't. You didn't just feed 5,000 people, but you made the storm stop. I forgot about the loaves. The disciples were learning that he is their provision. He is their power. He is their protection. It's all found in the person of Jesus and how quickly we forget that. What do we learn about the crowds? The crowds reap the benefits of the sacrifice and gifts of Jesus. They reaped the benefits and were sent home. They just get to go back to their homes. And they don't have to sacrifice anything. So that's going to take us to these final section of verses where it says they make it to the place Jesus told them to go. And when they get out of the boat, the people recognize Jesus. News that Jesus was there spreads really quick. And it's because people are running around like crazy saying, hey, Jesus is here, announcing it to all the regions as he arrived. Wherever he was, in villages, cities, the countryside, they would bring all the sick people into the marketplace and ask just to touch him, and then they would be healed. So what do we see about Jesus in this text? First of all, we see that Jesus went to every community. There was no community that was off boundaries. He went to the countrysides. He went to the cities. He went to the villages where there were a lot of people, where there were a little bit of people. He went to every community. Every community mattered to him. What else do we see? Jesus is the great healer. What else do we see? Jesus' ministry took place in the marketplace. It wasn't the synagogues. A lot of us sit around and wait, and we're going, man, if I could just get my friend to church to experience Jesus. And the reality is, is that we've been placed to be displays of the kingdom of God in every sector of life, including the marketplace. When I was growing up, uh, we had very charismatic context for our lives. Um, people running around, crying, weeping during worship, you know, like falling out, the whole, the whole bit. And uh, the thing that always was mind-boggling to me as it was like that is the moment when I most experience the presence of God is in a church context but what about when I'm in a business meeting I need the Holy Spirit in that moment for wisdom and I don't need to start crying in front of the guy to do it I need to have a very clear mind that is led by God's Spirit to give me wisdom in that moment I need understanding of things. I need, I need his direction, his guidance. I need his love to be inside of me. I need to be displaying the fruit of the Spirit. All of these things, like when the Holy Spirit is upon us, is that not an evidence of him? 
Jesus' ministry was taking place in the marketplace and miracles were taking place because of Jesus, because of the faithfulness and the, the desire for people to get into that place. And then Jesus does what he wants to do. What do we learn about the disciples? The thing that I noticed about the disciples in this text is that the disciples are not noticed. That's, that's a great thing to notice, that when it says he arrived, they recognized him. Not, they recognized him and his disciples. What else do we see? Jesus was recognized, and their lives pointed to his glory, and they didn't ever seem to mind that. That's another thing to look at throughout all of the stories. Something to note about the disciples, even when he was betrayed, is that it never really was about them becoming king, God, ruler. Like it was always like, Jesus, teach me. I'm willing to go through this. I just want your kingdom to be displayed. Whatever that takes, if I look foolish, and we like to sit, and you've noticed this through all of Mark as we've been leading up to this, where we like to sit and go, man, the disciples, they're just so stupid. Like, they forget so fast. They're just dumb. Like, why can't they remember the loaves? It was like three verses ago. And here, here he is. Here they are in the middle of that, and instead of going, Jesus, you're making me look bad, can't I just have everything they're going? Every one of these things that I'm going through begins to... Uh, um, is, is shaping me to be like Jesus. What do we learn about the crowds? Jesus is only loved for his provision, his protection, and his power. The crowds in this were not there for Jesus. They were there for what Jesus could give to them. Jesus was characterized by what they received. The crowd comes for the benefits. And that's a very strong distinction between a disciple, the church, and a, a crowd and people that just are there for themselves and their own benefit. So to close this, I want to pose some questions. I want to pose some questions first to the crowd because I believe there's people here that are part of the crowd. And then I'm going to pose some questions to the church. First of all, are you only pursuing Jesus to see what you can get out of it? These are good questions to be able to filter. Am I part of the crowd or a part of the church? Because I attend church. Are you hoping for something better but not sure what the better is? Lastly, are you reaping the benefits of the kingdom but not participating in displaying the kingdom? Are you reaping the benefits in the sense that every time you have a problem, you run to people in the church, in your community group, you run to them and you say, I need you to meet my need. I need you to meet my need. I need you to meet my need. But you're never participating in, in uh, having all things in common with everybody else, in service, in love, in sacrifice, in giving. 
you only reap the benefits of the kingdom, but you don't display the kingdom? I want to say this to the crowd. Realize this. In Christ, the sacrifice becomes joy and only a reasonable response compared to the kindness of God that he would include us in his family on his mission. He reveals himself to us. He heals us and pours into us so much grace that we desire for others to experience inclusion into his family. This is what it means to submit our lives to Christ joyfully. To the church, to to people who call themselves disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus, are we living a display of the kingdom of God now at any cost? Are we striving to build our own kingdoms? Do storms make us easily forget the provision, protection, and power we are given in order to point people to Jesus? Do we get frustrated in our imperfection or do we rejoice in the lessons that each trial and failure teaches us? Remember that. Remember that it is in him by him and through him that you are saved. It's his grace that sends you as a trophy of his kindness for his glory because that's the reality of what we are. It's not that we did something special, but that by saving us, people look and go, why would God save you? Why? It doesn't make sense. Well, if you can be saved, I guess I can because you're messed up. Jesus is a good teacher and places inside of us his spirit to display his fruit and demonstrate his power so we can be made more like him. Don't give up. Remember him. Don't forget the loaves. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's all in him. As we take communion today, I want to make a reminder that communion is for the disciples, for the church. And it's for the crowd to watch and say, I want that. If you're not a believer today, you can watch as we participate in remembering Jesus. If you want to give your life to Jesus, you say, I want to be a part of that family, you are welcome to be included in the family of Christ. We're going to ask our prayer team to come. They'll be standing over here, and they want to pray with you. And if, if you are somebody who's a part of the crowd and says, I want to be in that kingdom, then you're invited to come pray with them. And after they're done praying with you, they'll lead you in communion. If you're a part of the church and you're saying, my eyes have been looking to myself, my eyes have been what do I get out of this? My eyes have been selfish. I have lost sacrificial living because I feel like I'm getting burnt out and overwhelmed. And Jesus says, come with me to a desolate place where I teach you how to serve and love others and to be 
provided for abundantly. If that's you, you can come and get prayer as well. Come and join the kingdom of God. Receive healing. Receive his provision. Receive his protection and display his power. But more than that, be saved, not for yourself, but to display the gift of Jesus to others around you. Be a part of advancing a new kingdom, a kingdom of hope, love, and freedom. Let's pray and remember as we take communion, come down the center aisle, you can grab the two cups together, spreads at the bottom, and you can take it back to your seat. If you're here with your family, pray with them and fix your eyes back on Jesus if your sight has, has left that. And if you need prayer, remember we have some guys over here who will pray with you. Jesus, we're overwhelmed by you today. I'm in awe of you, Jesus. Would you please restore the joy of our salvation? And if there's somebody here that doesn't know you today, that's been standing in the crowds waiting for their handout, would you show them that everything they need is in you and in you there's abundance to be distributed back out to the world around them. We do this to remember you, Jesus. Your body, your blood that was sacrificed for the payment of our sins to display your glory. Let us be a participants in showing your kingdom until you come again and make all things right, God.